Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to Emmanuel Baptist Church. Welcome to worship with us. As you can tell, as you were coming in, this is VBS week. We are excited. Woohoo, yeah. We are excited about VBS being this week. We have, I think we have about 150 kids signed up so far. I think we have close to 100 volunteers, so that's a really good ratio. Um, I know we'll have, we'll have some more children registered as the week goes on, so we're expecting a lot of kids. Um, we're expecting just God to do a lot of things this week. Um, so continue to pray for VBS. Um, the theme is Keepers of the Kingdom. It is encouraging children to know and learn what it means to put, it, put on the full armor of God, um, to know what God's Word is and what it says. Um, if you are a volunteer at VBS, Greg has some information packets for you. There, you as you pick up your children or just drop by the hangar after service today, and you can pick up that volunteer information. It'll give you information on where the schedule, where to take children, how to guide. Um, it'll give you a daily devotional that is concurrent with what, what the teaching time is going to be. So just go through that. Prepare your heart for, um, for leading children. This is, it's such a great time for kids to hear the gospel. Um, if you are a volunteer also, we ask that you'll be here and be prepared at about 4.30 every day. If you can, drop off is at 4.45, so we want you to be in place and ready, ready when the kids show up. If you are new to Emmanuel, this is your first time here, or you haven't given us information about yourself, we would love to hear from you. There's a connection card in the back of the seat back in front of you. Also, you can fill one out online if you would like. Just give us any information that you would like for us to have, um, your name, telephone number. Um, if you want to be contacted by email or have a cup of coffee, just note that on the connection card. We would love to meet you and get up with you. My name is Michael McDuffie. I'm the administrator here. Um, I would reach out to you or someone else would on staff would re reach out to you just to get connected to our church. If you have been here for a while, um, a few times or even a few years, and you're interested in membership or knowing kind of what the bigger vision, how we uh, operate as Emmanuel Baptist Church, on July 9th, we are having a starting point meeting. It's during the 10 o'clock service. It will be at the same time as this service. You can register for that online. You can come. You can meet some of the leaders, uh, the pastors of the church. And, and um, there's also be deacons there and kind of go through some material just to help you know what our church does, what our vision is, and what membership means. So if you haven't been to Starting Point or you would just like to go again if you haven't been here in a while and would like to come back and learn about our church, please sign up for Starting Point. Also, on July 28th, there will be a men's ministry event. It'll be a fish frying conference called the Fishers of Men. There'll be more details a little later as we get closer to the event. But you can um, scan this QR code or you can visit it. You can see information in the Church Center app about what that event will be. Um, today we, um, we have a new... Um, interim worship director. Ben will be here. Shan's going to get up and introduce him. But we are just excited that you're here, um, excited that you came and worship. So I'm going to pray for us, and the band's going to come up. Father God, we love you. We thank you for today. 
God, we thank you for the life that you give us. Thank you for the life that you called us to. Thank you for allowing us to be here today to pray together, to sing together, to learn from your word together, God. We pray that in all things you would help us be be more conformed to the image of your son, God, so that we could be um, Emmanuel Baptist Church to Crestview. We could be God with God with us to um, to what you've called us to be, to our city and to our world. Father God, we are just so thankful. We pray that you would bless this time. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Father God, Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity that we get to just to come and worship you, Father. We thank you for the freedom of getting to do that. Um, Lord, I know you brought each and every person in this room here for a, for a purpose and for a reason, Lord. I pray that you would just speak to our hearts today, Father. Speak to our pastor. Allow it to be your words, Lord, and not his own. I pray that you would just continue to use each and every one of us in your own special way, Father. Give us each divine appointment so we're able to minister and love on those that are lost and in hurt. And, Father, in need of a hope of a Savior. And we praise you in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you grab your Bibles as you grab your seat and open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll look at verses 15 through 18 this morning. As you're turning there, I'm going to ask you a question. When you were growing up, was there a certain celebrity that you wanted to look like? Maybe you really thought they had a cool clothing style, or maybe you really liked their haircut. You thought, man, I need to have that haircut. Well, for me, it wasn't necessarily a certain celebrity, but there was a certain haircut that I liked. And it was pretty popular in the 90s. Um, this I'm talking about when I was like maybe 8, 9, 10, that kind of age. And in fact, the kid who lived in the house behind us, his name was Sterling. He had this haircut. And Sterling was like a cool kid. He was kind of like a bad kid. No, no, he was pretty cool. And so I, I kind of wanted a Sterling's haircut. The only point of reference that I could think of in order to find a picture to show you what this haircut looked like was the sons from the show Home Improvement. You guys remember that show? Tim, Tim Allen. And so this is a picture of, this is kind of the haircut that I was thinking. It was long on top, but it was actually buzzed underneath so that the long hair went over the buzz part, almost like a reverse comb over, if that makes sense. And so I thought this was cool. Uh, I wanted this haircut, so I had kind of grown my hair out. And my mom, who usually cut our hair, she was like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. You're going to have to go somewhere and get it done. Okay, so I go to the place where my dad gets his haircut. <clears throat> and for whatever reason, I still don't know why, I was convinced, 100% sure, that the name of this haircut was called a soccer cut. I don't know why I thought that. And if you were a kid in the 90s, you might know where this story is headed because this is not a soccer cut, okay? So I tell the lady, I say, hey, I want a soccer cut. She says, are you, are you sure? And I said, yeah, yeah. And then she even looked at my dad, is that okay? He goes, no, I don't care, whatever he wants is okay. And so you'll remember, it's a little bit buzzed underneath the long part, right? So she starts buzzing and, and I'm thinking, she's going a little fast. Like she's being a little bit uh, careless with where she's buzzing, right? kind of going around the back, around the side, and then all of a sudden, she buzzes straight across the top, okay? Come to find out, I learned that day that this is not a soccer cut. A soccer cut is when your whole head is buzzed except for your bangs, okay? At least that's what it was in the 90s, okay? And so um, I actually do have a picture of this. It's not the full glory of the haircut because my hair had already started to grow out a little bit again, but this is one of my school pictures. I just like, I don't know, second or third grade. <laughs> And so I was surprised, as you, as you could tell, right? And 
At first, I, I didn't like this haircut, but then the girl that I had a crush on, she was like, said, hey, that's a pretty cool haircut. And I was like, all about, now I want the soccer cut, right? But my, my mom, I guess, being kind, she didn't want me to continue to have a dumb haircut. So she kind of told me a little white lie. She's like, well, we don't have clippers. Clippers are exp pretty expensive. It's just going to have to grow back out. And I'm like, I don't know, nine. I don't know how expensive clippers are. Were they $1,000? Okay, what, you know, whatever you say, mom. And so it did eventually grow, grow back out. All right, we can take that away so we're not distracted by it, okay? So there would have been a very easy way to prevent this problem. Actually, a very common thing is when you go to the barber, the hairstylist, you could bring an image with you, right? You bring a picture and say, this is what I want to look like. And it's pretty, pretty easy, right? What would have been even better, it would have been kind of strange, but it would have worked really well, was if I brought Sterling with us. And I said, here, this is what I want to look like. Because we are in his presence, you can conform me to that image. All right, you kind of know where I'm driving at this point, right? You get what I'm trying to say here. As Christians, we have a certain way that we are supposed to look. Now, I'm not talking about your haircut or or your clothing style. I'm talking about the image of your soul, which is kind of a strange thing to think about. That thing that we cannot see, what does it look like? Well, what, what we're talking about is what is referenced in Genesis 1, when God made us as the crowning achievement of creation because we were made in his image. Now, this doesn't mean that we physically look like God, but instead it's talking about our souls. That that thing that we cannot see, in some way, it's supposed to look like the one that we cannot see. So what does that mean? It means a whole lot of different things, but it's talking about our character. It's talking about our personhood. And when we sinned, when Adam sinned, uh, we fell, and that image inside of us was marred. It was damaged. But it was not destroyed, it was not removed. It is still inside every single person, and it is redeemable, it is restorable. Paul said it in this way in 1 Corinthians 15. Just as we have borne the image of the dust of, excuse me, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. There's a beautiful verse, there's a whole sermon just in that verse, but we, when we're born, we carry the image of Adam, the man of dust, the one who was made to dust, made from dust, and because of his sin, returned back to dust. But because of Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, taking the punishment for sin, and then raising again to new life, we now have the opportunity to no longer be conformed to the image of the man of dust, Adam, we can now be conformed to the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. That is the restoration of the image of God inside of us, back to what it's supposed to be. And so we as Christians are supposed to look like the image of the man of heaven. We're supposed to look like Jesus. And again, I'm not talking about having the same hairstyle as Jesus. I'm not talking about wearing robes. We're talking about uh, being conformed to his personhood, to his character. So what that means is it is only possible for us to be conformed to his image if we know what he looks like. If we don't know what he looks like, if we're just guessing, we're going to end up with a bad spiritual haircut. 
We have to set our eyes on Jesus. We have to be in Jesus' presence if we're going to become more like Jesus. And so this is our fifth week out of six of studying this idea of the presence of God. What does it mean that we call ourselves Emmanuel Baptist Church? That is God with us Baptist Church. And so if we are going to be Emmanuel Baptist Church, we have to know what it means to be in Jesus' presence so that we can then be more like Jesus. And so Paul is going to teach us about this as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. Paul, in, this ver- in these verses, he is referring to something that happened in Exodus 34, which is just a little bit after what we studied a few weeks ago. You remember that God's presence came down on Mount Sinai in this incredible demonstration of power. That The mountain shook. There was fire and smoke and a trumpet blast, and God spoke from the heavens. And you'll remember there were several times when Moses would go up on the mountain, get a word from the Lord, and bring it back down to the people. This happened a couple different times. Well, one of the times Moses comes down off the mountain, he has been so fully in the presence of God that his face is shining with the reflected glory of God. And the people, when they see Moses, they're understandably a little bit freaked out, as I think most of us would be. And so because of their fear, because of their, um, their discomfort, Moses actually wears a veil over his face to hide the reflected glory of God from the people. And so Paul, picking up on this idea, uh, he uses this as a teaching tool as we look now at verse 15. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. What Paul is saying is that the reason that they wanted a veil over Moses' face was actually because there was already a veil over their hearts. This is referring to a spiritual blindness, an inability to see God's glory and to understand it for what it is, an inability even to read the word of God and to understand for it for what it is. That's what it means by when Moses is read. This is referring to the Old Testament. Moses was an author of the portion, a portion of the Old Testament. And so it's referring to all of God's word. There are even those who are very familiar with God's word. The there, a veil lies over their hearts in context. Um, Paul is talking about people with a Jewish background. Well, they're very familiar with the Old Testament. They know it forwards and backwards. They know what it says. But that does not mean that they can see it for what it is. That as long as they are spiritually blind, they might logically even comprehend what the Bible says but they are not transformed by the power of God's word because of spiritual blindness, because of this veil over their hearts. Now, Paul here is talking specifically about people with a Jewish background, but elsewhere in the Bible, we see this same problem applies to all people who are separate from Jesus, all people who are not following Jesus as their Lord. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. That word folly is like foolishness. There are people who hear the gospel and comprehend it logically, but to them they say, that's that's not for me, that's foolishness. That is because of a veil lying over their hearts. 
This is true of all lost people, this condition of spiritual blindness. I think of sharing the gospel with my friend Aaron one time, who was actually from a a Jewish background. He kind of grew up culturally Jewish. And I shared the gospel with him, and I said, well, do you do you understand it? Yeah, I understand it. Do you think it makes sense? Is it logical? Yeah, it makes sense. I, I understand how it, why it's logical. Well, so what do you think? He said, ah, it's just, it's not for me. This is because there was a veil over his heart, a spiritual blindness that kept him from hearing the word of God and receiving it and being transformed by it. And this condition is true of all people who are lost all people who do not have Jesus as their Lord, but it's not the end of the story. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When someone turns and begins to follow Jesus with their life, there is a work that happens in their hearts. Their spiritual blindness is cured. The veil that lies over their hearts is removed. Well, how is that possible? Well, it's because of who they're following. Jesus, the Lord, is the one who tore the veil. If you remember the the tradition of the temple, that there was a, a heavy curtain that blocked people from the very intimate presence of God. And what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The veil was torn from top to bottom, meaning that we now have access into God's presence. We now have access to God's glory. And so because he's the one who tore the veil, if we turn and follow him, the veil over our hearts can be removed. How does this happen exactly? What is the process? Well, verse 17 tells us this. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So how this veil is removed from our hearts is... Paul tells us here, is a work of the Holy Spirit, doing something miraculous, supernatural inside of us, curing our spiritual blindness. Because we have turned to the Lord, the Holy Spirit does that work inside of us. Now, this is a great verse here, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 3, 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is a great one that you'll see on coffee mugs or keychains or t-shirts, you know. And, and I think that when we read this verse out of context, not connected to the rest of the passage, we probably would have the instinct that we are talking about a freedom from sin, that the chains of, of addiction can be broken. And that is absolutely a biblical truth that I think we could find elsewhere in the Bible. But as we look about, as we think about the context of this whole passage, what kind of freedom is Paul talking about here? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He's talking about a freedom to see God, that prior to the work of the Holy Spirit, the veil is there. We are spiritually blind. We cannot see God's glory. Even if we catch a glimpse of it, we don't understand it. We're not transformed by it. And so this freedom is is not only even a freedom to understand the word of God. That's what he started out by talking about. They read Moses and they still don't get it. Well, it's ultimately because they're blind, not just to the word of God, but they're blind to the glory of God itself. And so this work of the Holy Spirit comes and it makes us free. It sets us free. It cures our blindness. And now we can see God for who he is. We can see his glory. That ultimately, if we wanted to kind of summarize these three verses, we would say it in this way. 
that the Holy Spirit opens spiritually blind eyes to see the glory of God. The Holy Spirit opens spiritually blind eyes to see the glory of God. Yes, see the glory of God in Scripture, in the law of Moses, but also to see the glory of God entirely in other ways as well. And this is, is a, a beautiful gift. This is a wonderful gift, and maybe we take it too lightly. Um, what would you want free lifetime admission to? Some, someone decides they're going to give you a gift. Free lifetime admission to something you get to choose. Maybe it's to the movies. You can go see a movie anytime you want free, rest of your life. Maybe it's season tickets to your favorite team. You can go every game as long as you want, the rest of your life, for free. Maybe it's to, to Broadway shows. Those are pretty expensive. Free lifetime admission to Broadway shows the rest of your life. That would be a pretty good gift, right? I mean, if nothing else, you know that would be an expensive gift. It would be a, a gift that you would probably appreciate. But I hope you realize that even as good as that gift is, it falls incredibly short of the gift that God has already given us if you have Jesus as your Lord. He has given us free, eternal, lifetime admission to see His glory. To come into His presence. This is a good gift. And there are people in this room who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And they would tell you, if you don't know, that this is the greatest gift. To be able to come into the presence of God. And in His presence to find a joy and a satisfaction that you can find nowhere else. I think back to uh, being probably close to that age in that picture you saw, about 10 years old and going to Cross Point, which was like a Lifeway camp before Century Kid was real big. And um, so it's a Christian summer camp. They've got the band, they've got the speaker, they've got all the games and all the cool Bible study leaders. So I remember I was walking to the cafeteria at Campbellsville University in Kentucky with my buds. We're on our way to lunch. And I can't explain why, but I just felt like I needed... God was calling me to be alone with him for a moment. I didn't really understand it, but I just said, all right, you guys go on, I'll, I'll catch up. So I go over and I find this bench, just an ordinary bench next to this tree on this college campus, and I sit down, and in that moment, to my memory, I experience the glory of God. I experience the presence of God like I have never had in my whole life up to that point. That God was there with me and he was as real as the bench that I could touch with my hand. He was as real as the tree that was providing shade for me. I was there in God's presence. And I tell you, it's been now, I don't know, 24 years. I still choose that moment over any show, any game, any concert. I mean, I get it. You've seen the clips from Taylor Swift's concert, like the lights, it's all cool, right? It's pretty amazing, pretty flashy, pretty showy. It doesn't matter. If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you have been in his presence in that way, you know that's, that's the greatest gift that there is, that the Holy Spirit has removed that veil, and I can see God's glory. And it, it wasn't... Because there were flashy lights, it wasn't because there was a, a, a fog machine, it wasn't because the band was really cool, it wasn't because of the speaker. Those are all great things. It's because I was just there with God. And so I would challenge you this morning 
Or I would just ask you to consider this. If you're sitting there and in the quiet of your heart, you're thinking, I don't know, I think I might rather have the football tickets. I think I might rather have the, the movie tickets. Then I would ask you to seriously pray and let the Holy Spirit speak to you on this. Maybe you haven't seen the glory of God. Maybe you haven't been in his presence. Maybe you've been in church your whole life. Maybe you're very familiar with the word of God. But if, the, if there's a veil lying over your heart, if you have not turned to follow the Lord, then you can't see him. And that can change today. You can experience the joy of his presence. You can taste and see that the Lord is good. If you would turn to the Lord, if you would follow Jesus with your life, then the Holy Spirit would come and do a miraculous work inside of you and cure your spiritual blindness and remove that veil from your heart. We know from Psalm 16, verse 11, that in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There is no admission that is greater than admission into the presence of God. What's incredible, as we keep reading, we're going to see that God uses this spiritual sight for more than just our joy and satisfaction. Keep reading here, verse 18. And we all... With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Okay, catch, catch what Paul is saying here because it's, it's enormous. It's almost unbelievable. So who is the we? All of us, meaning those who have turned to the Lord, Christians, now with unveiled face are able to behold the glory of the Lord. So... The Holy Spirit has done this work inside of us because we've turned to the Lord. And now the veil, there's no veil between us and the glory of God. We are able to look upon God's glory in all of its fullness because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We already know that that gives us joy and satisfaction like nothing else. But something else happens there when we look upon the glory of God. We are transformed into the same image. The, the, the image of the thing that we're looking at. We are transformed into the glory of God. When we look upon Jesus' face, we then become more like Jesus. From one degree of glory to another. Now, depending on your translation that you're reading, it might, say, might not say degree, from one glory to another. But the, image, or the idea is clear that it's this picture of a progress of, of growth and development, of today, because I have come into God's presence, because I have looked upon his face, because I have beheld his glory, I have now become more like him. I have actually become glorious. How strange is it to think of yourself in that way, that you are glorious? Well, guess what? The, the king of glory, he's not just interested in people coming to faith in him so that he would receive the glory that he deserves, which is good in itself. But he's interested in more and more people coming to faith in him because he wants to share his glory with us. We become glorious, which means that it's perfectly, uh, it would actually be great like, let's say, husbands, you want to encourage your wife, you want to compliment her the next time she's looking good. 
I actually heard uh, on a radio show one time these women were discussing what's the best compliment, you know, like, I don't like hot, it feels cheap, or I like beautiful, or, or gorgeous, or stunning was the one that, oh yeah, stunning. Like, how about this one, husbands, next time your wife is looking good, if she's a Christ follower, look at her and say, honey, you look glorious tonight. But guess what? That truth is not dependent upon the state of her hair, what she's wearing, how well she slept the night before. Because of Jesus, because of what he has done in her life, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in her, she is glorious all the time. Which also means it's just as, it's just as appropriate for me to look at Michael, who I know he follows the Lord, and say, Michael, you look glorious this morning. <laughs> and incredibly as glorious as he already looks tomorrow when he gets up and he spends time with God he has a chance to again behold the glory of God and become even more glorious in that moment that by beholding the glory of God we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, meaning that this is a work of the Holy Spirit living in us, a supernatural transformation that takes place, something we could never do ourselves. It's something that the Holy Spirit does in us. Elsewhere, Paul talks about spiritual growth and, and development. Like Ephesians 4, we're supposed to grow up in every way into him who is the head. But this passage is amazing, not just because it communicates that we should spiritually grow and develop, but it tells us how to spiritually grow and to develop. And, and he tells us it's essentially when we behold the glory of God, we're transformed into that image. That if you wanted to say it in kind of a catchy way, you could say it this way. The more you look at God, the more you look like God. The more you look at God the more you look like God. And again, we're not talking about your haircut. We're talking about the invisible soul inside of you. It is conformed to the image of Jesus when you look upon him. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is an incredible moment as we think about how we're tracking this idea of the presence of God all throughout human history. And we saw that we lost the presence of God because of our sin. And then God came to us several times, restoring that image of us in him. And then we saw this amazing turning point when Jesus came as God to live with us. The presence of God here with us, that's crazy. And then it gets even crazier because after Jesus died and was raised again and ascended to heaven, the presence of God was not just in a man, but the presence of God came to be in every man who would turn to the Lord. You catch that? We are Emmanuel Baptist Church because the Holy Spirit of God is living inside of every single Emmanuel Baptist Church member. Every single person who turns to the Lord, the presence of God is in you, with you, because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we have the chance, the opportunity, to look like the Son. Um, we, we could look like the Father by turning to the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. And really, this is this statement, you know, the more you look at God, the more you look like God. It's almost like common sense. Think back to the barber, right? How am I going to look like somebody if I don't have an image of that person? 
hey, I want this haircut. Can you describe it to me? No. Do you have a picture of it? No. Well, good luck. You're not going to look like it, right? And so the, logically, the common sense is the only way that we're going to look like Jesus is if we look at him so we know what to look like. But this is not just logic and common sense. This is also a supernatural thing that the Holy Spirit accomplishes in us, that there is something about the power of God's presence. There is something about the glory of God that when we behold it, it transforms us into the thing that we are looking at. That we become more, we become his people more fully when we spend more time in his presence. You know, this is really, I think, the simplest explanation of what it means to be a disciple. You know, this is kind of a churchy word. We throw it around, and, and so we, we kind of have these loose translations. You had the rabbi who was the teacher and the disciple who is the student. But if you're thinking of, of your high school, you've got the wrong picture of what was happening between Jesus and his disciples, okay? Because the disciple was not just there to learn from Jesus' wisdom. The disciple was there to learn from Jesus' life. Hey, come follow me. In other words, walk in the way that I walk. Imitate me. Become more like me. Well, the only way I can become like somebody is if I'm in their presence. The only way I can imitate them is if I watch them. And so this is very different from how we think of the word teacher and student. You know, I've had a lot of different teachers. I, I had Mr. Chapman for calculus in high school. I didn't show up to calculus class going, hopefully I leave this place looking more like and acting more like Mr. Chapman. No, I showed up to calculus going, I guess I got to learn calculus today. Um, and I didn't have any desire to be like him. But that is what is happening when we think of what we want to be or, or what it means to be a disciple. Not just to learn some things that Jesus said. It's to learn to be like Jesus. It's to turn our eyes upon him so that we can be conformed to his image. So let's make this very, very personal. We've been learning what it means for us to own our namesake, to be Emmanuel Baptist Church. God with us, Baptist Church. Well, the only way for us to be Emmanuel Baptist Church is if each of us individually is an Emmanuel Baptist person. Here's what I mean by that. And I don't know that you would vocalize this. I don't think you would say this out loud. I don't even know that you would realize you have this thought in your heart. But I think sometimes we show up to church and we, we have this feeling of like, well, I hope the preacher's prepared because I really want to experience the presence of God. I hope the band plays the songs that I like because I really want to experience the presence of God. And that's missing it, church. You have the presence of God living in you. You have the presence of God available to you all the time. You can behold his glory every single day. And if each of us individually was an Emmanuel person, someone who was set on seeking God's presence every day, then of course when we come together, he's going to be with us in an amazing, astounding, unbelievable way. So if we're really going to be Emmanuel Baptist Church, we have to start with being Emmanuel Baptist people. Don't show up hoping for God to do something 
through somebody else, show up saying, I'm ready. I've been in his presence all week, so of course he's going to continue to be with us this morning. This means for Emmanuel Baptist to be Emmanuel Baptist, we all have to make beholding his glory a priority in our lives. This means being a disciple requires discipline. It's not a a coincidence that they share the same root word. Being a disciple requires discipline. That you have the chance, the incredible opportunity to behold the glory of God every time you study his word. And the only reason you can do that is because the Holy Spirit has done something supernatural inside of you. What a gift. But guess what? It is hard work. It does require discipline. If you're new to church or even if you've been here your whole life and you've never heard this before, you need to know studying the Bible is hard. It's hard work. And and that's not because of uh, some kind of lack of or some kind of deficiency that the authors had. It's simply because of cultural distance. We don't live in a world that is like their world. The same reason that it's hard to read Shakespeare is, makes it the same reason that it's hard to read the Bible. So it is a difficult thing that requires diligent study and hard work. But hopefully you see that this, this, the truth of these verses completely reframes how we approach it. It's a gift, The Holy Spirit is doing something supernatural inside of you. You get to behold the glory of God. If that requires a little hard work, I think it is worth it. You get to come to him through prayer, through fasting, through study, through meditation and memorization. There are all these tools he's given us that do require discipline, but those are the things that we have to do if we're going to be his disciples. Those are the things we're going to have to do if this will be the gathering of Emmanuel Baptist people what church means. It's the congregation. It's the group together. So we can't be a group of God with us unless we are God with us people. And so we have to put on our big boy pants. I was trying to think of a better way to say that. I don't, I don't know. I guess that's the way to say it. We have to own up that that we do have a role in this process, that the Holy Spirit is doing something supernatural, but he's partnering with us in this process, that we, through these spiritual disciplines, that is our opportunity to behold his glory. And then when we behold his glory, he transforms us into the thing that we are looking at, making us more glorious, making us more like his son. And so we do this, even though it's hard We do it because it is our greatest joy and also because it is how he makes us glorious. When I was growing up, basically every other commercial on children's television networks uh, was an anti-smoking commercial. And that's good, like don't smoke. But but my point is is this. Um, There was one commercial, I don't know why, but it really stuck out to me. I remember it to this day. But there was a guy, he was smoking, and he was covered in uh, tar and ash, like from head to foot. And he, and he was acting like he was cool, and he's like trying to flirt with this girl, and the girl's like, ew, you know, like, that's gross, right? And so, and then it said something along the lines of like, no one would smoke if you looked on the outside how you look on the inside. Right? Makes sense? Okay. But 
I want us to think about that from a spiritual perspective. Your soul, that invisible thing inside of you, how does it look? If it could be seen, what would it look like? Would it be glorious? And let me just tell you, this passage and many other passages in the Bible make it absolutely clear that if Jesus isn't your Lord, the answer is no. You are conformed to the image of the man of dust. And from dust you were made, and from dust to dust you will return. But that's not what God wants. He wants to share his glory with you. He wants to share his eternal life with you. And this is why Jesus willingly died on the cross. And if you would, this morning, turn to Jesus, then that invisible soul inside of you, it will become glorious. And every single time from this moment on that you set your eyes upon Jesus, it can become more and more glorious. And so we're going to have a time of response, which means that you get to move in the way that the Holy Spirit is leading you. And so I'll be down here in the front, and if you want to come and speak with me, I can show you from Scripture how you can turn to the Lord and how you can become glorious like the Father this morning. But I also want to challenge those of us who are here who have already turned to the Lord. We will not really be Emmanuel Baptist Church. We will not really own our namesake until we decide individually to become Emmanuel people. Make his presence the priority of your life. And then watch what he does when we all show up together. Father, we're so thankful for your perfect and holy word. We're so thankful that you want to share your glory with us. We're so thankful that you have removed the veil from our hearts so that we can behold your glory. We ask, God, that you would do it again, that here in this moment that there will be people who are still spiritually blind, that they would turn to the Lord and they would have the veil removed. We ask, Father, that you would give the people in this room the courage they need to be obedient to your call. Speak with someone about what it means to turn to the Lord. But also ask, Father, that during this time of worship, that we would bless you. That we would cry out in praise and thanksgiving because you have removed the veil from our hearts. You allow us into your presence. You allow us